Melanie was a very bubbly person. She had uh, a good spirit about her that she was always happy and she hung out with the good crowds. She was good in school. She was responsible. It's just a unique case with no crime scene because it just seems like she's vanished from the earth really. It's almost like working backwards on the case just to try and figure out exactly what happened to her. She'd be 39 this Christmas. listeners we're shedding light we're three moms on a mission candy Susie, and angela and we're hell-bent on shedding light on missing persons cold cases across canada in an effort to help families find the missing piece of the puzzle hi this is mary i've been listening to these girls recording in my basement for hours and i have to warn you there's some very foul language and adult content going on Listener, discretion is advised. Before we start this episode, we'd like to thank our very good friend Carla for pouring out her heart and sharing with our listeners her horrific experience of losing her only son. We love you and we appreciate you every day. Welcome to Shedding Light, Episode 1, The Disappearance of Melanie Yetzier. On the afternoon of September 28, 1996, in the small town of New Liskard, Ontario, Canada, now known as Temiskaming Shores, 15-year-old Melanie Etche was shopping downtown with her girlfriend for her grandma's birthday the next day. Melanie purchased a gift and everything she would need to bake her grandma a cake. In the early evening, after shopping, she arrived home with her best friend and three boys, one of whom was Melanie's new boyfriend. Melanie asked her mom if the group could stay and watch movies in her room. Her mom reminded her that her room was a mess. Cheerfully, Melanie said, Okay, guys, let's go. She looked at her mom as if to say, I know we better go watch movies at someone else's house. As the teens departed the Etche home, Celine, Melanie's mom, physically walked out of the house to the sidewalk and watched her daughter walk away for what would be the last time. Shortly after 10 p.m., the group of friends arrived at one of the boys' homes located on Pine Avenue, about a 10-minute walk from Melanie's. The friends confirmed that they quietly watched movies in the basement as the parents slept upstairs. From all reports, there were no alcohol or drugs consumed that night. Melanie's girlfriend, who was catching a ride home, left at approximately 12.30 a.m., which by this time was September 29th, leaving behind Melanie, her boyfriend, and the boy whose family home it was. Between the hours of 1.30 and 2 a.m., Melanie herself left the Pine Avenue residence alone on foot. She never made it home. Here we are in 2020, almost 24 years later, with no further information, aside from two tips that were released by police. In 2010, a tip was released to the public that Melanie was last seen on the Armstrong Street Bridge around 2 a.m. 
just a short distance from her home. In January 2020, police also released information stating that when her girlfriend left the home an hour before Melanie did, that she was spooked by a slow-moving vehicle not far from the residence. This frightened her to the point that she began to run to meet her ride. I have here in my hand a copy of the Ontario Provincial Police missing poster offering a $50,000 reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of Melanie Etier. The government of the province of Ontario is offering a reward in the amount of $50,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the disappearance of Melanie Etier. At approximately 2 a.m. on Sunday, September 29, 1996, Malinietie, then age 15, left a private residence to walk a short distance to her home in Temiskaming Shores, Ontario. She did not arrive at her residence and was reported missing to Temiskaming Shores Police Services later that day. Malinietie is described as a non-white, black female, 5 feet 5 inches tall, 120 pounds, brown eyes, long braided black hair. Last seen wearing a green Nike jacket, blue jeans, white t-shirt with a blue heart Pepe logo, and black boots. Foul play is strongly suspected in this disappearance. Any person with information regarding the disappearance of Melanie Etche is asked to contact the Director of the Criminal Investigation Branch, Ontario OPP, at 1-888-310-1122, or their nearest police authority. Further information about this case is available on the OPP website, at www.opp.ca. Should you wish to remain anonymous, you may call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, where you may be eligible to receive a cash reward up to $2,000. Please help us shed some light on the disappearance of Melanie Etier. Thanks, Susie, for sharing all those facts with us. And I'm going to give you a really brief timeline of the development in the case in the days and weeks after Melanie disappeared. On the morning of September 29th, 1996, Melanie's alarm went off at 7.30 and woke her mom, Celine, who realized that Melanie didn't come home the night before. Otherwise, she would have turned her alarm off for work. And her mom, Celine, assumed that she'd fallen asleep watching movies at her friend's house and that she would be home soon. But by the afternoon, when there was no sign of Melanie, Celine started to become concerned and called a few of Melanie's friends. When her friends confirmed that Melanie left the friend's residence at approximately 2 a.m. to walk home alone, Celine began to become very worried and by the early afternoon called the New Liskard Police Department to report Melanie missing. The new Liskard police reacted very quickly and dispatched officers to Celine's residence and they began searching the area around the Armstrong Bridge and the banks of the Wabi River. Monday, September the 30th, the OPP were called into the search where a helicopter was dispatched from Sudbury. The OPP search dog and handler from North Bay were also dispatched. Tuesday, October the 1st, the OPP emergency search and rescue team were called in and performed a detailed search of Pine Avenue, the residence where Melanie was at that night. That morning, they went house to house and yard to yard searching for any sign of Melanie. That search included more than a dozen officers and volunteer firemen. Later that day, Ontario Hydro offered a helicopter to assist with the search. In the days following Melanie's disappearance, police across the province were alerted she was missing. 
Her mother distributed posters around New Liskard and Quebec, and a full-scale search began. The weekend of October 5th and 6th, Squadron 424 of Civil Air Search and Rescue, stationed at Canadian Forces Base Trenton, were in the area for training, and they too lent a hand. Tuesday, October the 8th, OPP searchers and divers began searching the Wabi River near the mouth of Armstrong Street Bridge for any clues. This search went on for three days. By the first week of October, two officers with OPP Major Crimes Unit from Aurelia were added to the investigation, joining two new Liskard police officers who were already dedicated to the case full-time. By mid-October, Melanie's case was listed with Crime Stoppers. In a letter to the editor in a November edition of the Temiskaming Speaker, Melanie's mom, Celine, wrote, I need to know where she is, alive and well, or whether she is at peace. Not knowing and how, where and how she is is unbearable. November the 18th, Celine and a dozen of her friends and well-wishers gathered around a tree in downtown Liskert at the corner of Whitewood and Armstrong. They decorated a tree with yellow ribbons and pictures of Melanie to keep everyone aware and to not forget. Melanie's mom continued to keep her in the news. She sent recent news clippings and school photos to national media outlets based in Toronto, hoping that someone somewhere would respond. I can't give up hope until I have her. That's why I want to keep it in the news until she's found. People in town were getting nervous. Kids were scared. In November, an OPP constable offered a presentation at Englehart High School about traveling alone and expected an audience of about 30. She was surprised when 150 kids showed up to hear her speak. By mid-November, police are frustrated by the lack of firm leads in the investigation. Police Chief Doug Jelly said, absolutely nothing had turned up that would help. As Christmas approached, the town of New Liskard began to prepare for the joyous holiday festivities. We all know Christmas is all about kids, but for Celine Etier and her family, it was the most painful time imaginable. Not only would Melanie not be there to celebrate Christmas, but she also wouldn't be there to celebrate her sweet 16. You see, Melanie was a Christmas baby. Her bedroom door, I leave it open. It's a place I go when I really miss her. I go in her room and play her music. What's important to me is not to have somebody arrested. It's to find my daughter. By December 1996, Melanie's information was being circulated across Canada through Child Finds National Network. By July 1997, the following year, New Liskard Police Sergeant Dwight Thibb and Detective Constable Bill Deverall from the OPP both assigned to the case full-time, began re-interviewing people. This was not sparked by new developments in the case, according to Police Sergeant Dwight Thibb, but they were trying to exhaust every lead or tip. By September 24, 1997, the case was now being supervised by Inspector Pete Burns of the Thunder Bay OPP Detachment. February 25, 1998, Dwight Thibb was returned to regular New Liskard police work, but continued to work on Melanie's case. By December 1998, the reward for Melanie was increased to $25,000. April 26, 1999, a new ground search took place with the OPP at Dawson Point. According to Sergeant Dwight Thibb, this is not the result of a strong tip. Had it been, we would have been out there last week. We're just expanding our search area. We were searching last spring, and we are searching this spring. 
This was the first time that the Dawson Point area had been the subject of a search. September 29, 1999 marked the third anniversary of Melanie's disappearance. Exhaustive three-year police investigation had failed to turn up any evidence or clues in the disappearance. Police and family by this time believed Melanie was murdered. It's believed most likely she either willingly entered a vehicle where at least one of the occupants was someone she knew, or she was somehow lured or abducted into a vehicle by a person or persons she didn't know. In the summer of 2000, police spent several weeks combing through the McGarry Township landfill and seized exhibits related to Melanie's case. Fast forward to 2010 when the police release a tip that stated Melanie was seen on the bridge that night at 2 a.m. And then this past January 2020, the OPP released a video regarding Melanie's disappearance in which they state that Melanie's friend was spooked by a car that night one hour before Melanie left the Pine Avenue residence. So now we're going to paint you a picture of who Melanie was in 1996. She was 15 years old, excited to turn 16, and she had lots of friends. She was beautiful. She had a recent relationship. She was in love. She had a job. She was kind. Um, Susie? She, well, she, she was a, an honor student. She was bilingual. She was an absolutely bright, beautiful young woman. She loved... To, to dance. She did Highland dance and ballet. She, you mentioned her job. She had a job at a local daycare. She even um, practiced self-defense uh, from a family friend, so she was learning that. She, loved, she was very athletic. She loved to rollerblade. She loved her family. There's so many love words. Her little sister, Jessie, and her mom, Celine, they were a very, very close family. She was anybody that we've talked to that talked about her said she was just such a bright, bubbly girl. She was so loved by everybody that met her. Um, just she, a very. Well, she had a favorite place, and I, I've been yeah. to it many times. It's called Pete's Dam. It's it's beautiful, and I can see why she'd love to go there, get her thoughts, and just look at it. Absolutely, and I, you know, she was she was very responsible. I think she was a good mm-hmm. student, obviously very responsible, and she did hang out with a good crowd, as far as uh, we've been told. And the one thing about her, when you look at her pictures, is you notice how beautiful her hair extensions were. So I think she took great pride in in her appearance and she loved her hair extensions. Um, and we were told that her favorite song was, give me one reason to stay here. Now, this case was one that's haunted Candy for years. Why this case in particular for you, Candy? Well, I'm from the area, so I try to get up north very often to see my family because I have a lot of family still there. So every time I head north, I either see a truck with her picture and her smile, or there's a huge billboard, and it just brings you back to me being from a small town. I never worried about being anywhere till late at night and how this can happen, and it, it boggles my mind that it's such a small town that people know everybody's business, but yet this young, beautiful girl goes missing, and no one knows. No one has the answer to help Celine find a solution like that's I'm just I'm boggled there's a few things that boggle me too if you go back to Angela's timeline um just the simple fact that she walked home alone like I have a son who lives with me and I know he brings girls home (laughs) sometimes that I'm not supposed to know about and especially now after us researching this podcast I just I'll, I'll never let him not walk a girl home I just 
I guess I don't understand why at two o'clock in the morning, even in a small town. And that's it, Susie. You said two o'clock in the morning and it's a small town and she apparently never walked home alone ever. Why did she walk home this day by herself at two o'clock in the morning? Okay, I'm not passing judgment. I mean, maybe, you know, from all accounts, no alcohol was supposed to have been consumed that night, but for whatever reason. And I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it makes you ponder. And there's also, there was another point in there. There's a couple statements that Angela made that were a little confusing. Um, and you <laughs> talked well, about... Well, Dawson's point. Dawson's point, which we know because we visited New Liskard. Dawson's point is basically around the corner from the Pine Avenue residence that Melanie was at. It would not have been the direct route to go home, to walk home via Dawson's point. But obviously something came in that made the police search there. And why two and a half years later? And and the police stated that there was not a new tip that made them do that. But then why wait two and a half well, years? Well, that's the confusing thing. Is yeah. it, they, stip, they stipulate that it's not because of a new tip, but we're going to check there. So then why are you wasting resources if you have no tip to mm-hmm, go there? Mm-hmm. So that's oh. what's confusing. The police have just released very, very, very little about this whole case. And it's been 24 years this September. And, you know, something else really weird that I noticed, and you know me, I'm nitpicky about no, 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 no. detailed stuff. <laughs> but in all the early reports, it stated that Melanie left at 2 a.m. And then at one point it was changed to 1.40, and then another point it was changed to 1.30 as the years progressed. Right. And, and maybe it was just the reporters choosing a time between 1.30 and 2 because nobody had a stopwatch on. But I always found that kind of odd because well, that think, would be yeah. the kind of detail you would get from the police. And you would think that it's it would stated once and it would stay yes. the same. Yes. That was always weird. No, you're right. They should have confirmed an exact time so well, people knew to look around. But, yeah. And that's the thing is they never knew an exact time. But yeah. why change it? If you right. have a time. Anyway, yeah. I always thought that was kind of odd. The last the last point I think you made on the timeline was about uh, they believe that Melanie either A, went into a vehicle because she knew the person or persons driving the vehicle or she was abducted or taken forcefully into a vehicle by unknown persons. But we talked, you know, she was athletic and she it was on a very busy street. That party, two o'clock in the morning, she I mean, was fit. She was yeah. trained in self-defense. She would have fought. So like picture crazy. yourself. You're 15. You're walking home. If someone goes to grab you, what would you do? I freaking scream, scream then. I claw them. I scream. I'd. Yeah. I, I can't think of how you'd get me into a car unless you clobbered me over the head or you chloroformed right. me. I don't know how you'd get or me. Or you knew who the person was. Right. Exactly. That's another. You know. And. If she was abducted and forced into a car, why did nobody hear anything? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, there's so much more information <laughs> that we have sorted through over the last few months, whether it been, it's been from our interviews with individuals, tips that have come in, scouring through social media posts, archive newspaper articles. We have spent countless hours, eh, girls? <laughs> oh, sleepless and nights. Just, just discussing our theories, and and it's just when we think we have it all figured out, another red herring jumps out of a rabbit hole. 
There's the theory that her estranged father picked her up. Well, there's there's mistaken identity and not just one identity, a few identities. Well, possibly three people. Yeah. And, well, there was human sex trafficking. Uh, There was a few murders that were in the area at that time. Join us for episode two as we discuss these theories and many more. So please, if you have anything you'd like to share with us, whether it's a story you've heard, something that you've submitted in the past, um, share it with us. We have lots of ways for you to contact us. Our email address is sheddinglightpodcast at gmail.com. Our website address is www.sheddinglightpodcast.ca. And we also have a phone number which you can call or text 437-374-3030. On the next episode... And I remember it like it was yesterday. This van pulled up. There's a big long window. He just looked out of place and he gave me the heebie-jeebies. You know when you get a, a feeling, you just get a really bad feeling? Mm-hmm. If you're interested in more missing persons cases, check out Please Bring Me Home because they have great content like this. I'm the director of forensic investigations for Please Bring Me Home. I'm a retired municipal police officer. I spent a good portion of my career in forensic crime scene investigation of major cases. As a director of forensic investigations at Please Bring Me Home, I provide direction and assistance to our investigators relating to how searches are conducted and helping them identifying items of potential evidentiary value. We're currently looking into the disappearance of an 82-year-old lady by the name of Ruth Jackson. Pardon me, Jackson. She was a resident of New Dundee, Ontario, uh, and this is currently a Napanee OPP case, and it's still classified as open. A little bit about the case. On June 13, 1999, Ruth Jackson was vacationing with her husband, Truman, at a cottage in Denby, Ontario. Denby's about 40 minutes east of Bancroft, Ontario. On that day, June 13, 99, Ruth and her husband were seen in a store in Denby. A witness stated that Ruth seemed confused and disoriented. This is the last known sighting of Ruth. Her husband, Truman, was found in Tamsworth, Ontario, later that day. Tamworth is approximately one hour southeast of where he and Ruth were last seen together. Truman was alone and confused. He had no recollection of how he got to Tamworth or where his wife Ruth was. Ruth and Truman reportedly both had Alzheimer's. The Napanee OPP conducted many searches over the years, been utilizing helicopters with heat sensors. Search dogs and ATVs were also used to cover a broad area. All efforts to locate Ruth to date have been unsuccessful. If anyone out there knows where Boundary Hill is in the Denby area, it would be helpful if you could let us know. If anyone has any info concerning Ruth's disappearance or her location, please call the Please Bring Me Home anonymous tip line at 226-702-2728 or the Napanee OPP at 1-888-310-1122. Thanks, everyone, and any help you can provide will be very much appreciated.
Oh, 